0: Welcome to The Culture Factor, where we talk to founders and influential leaders about company culture. We share stories from the C-suite that help executives engage their business from the inside and create a map to transform their culture. Because the truth is, culture eats strategy
1: for breakfast.
0: I want to thank our listeners for joining The Culture Factor, and I ask that you subscribe, rate, and consider leaving a review. We'd love to hear who you'd like to listen to next. And a thank you to our sponsor, Company Tribes. They have an app and a virtual experience to help keep your tribe together during difficult times like now and business as usual. How strong is your company culture? Reach out to Paul at companytribes.com. As co-producers and hosts, I'm Holly Shannon, and along with Paul Jones, we welcome you to another great episode of The Culture Factor. We're really excited to have Sydney Madison Prescott on The Culture Factor today. She is the global intelligent automation lead at Spotify. And after our last interview, Sydney had some topics that some ideas that she really wanted to dive into on the culture factor. So today we'll discuss the exodus of women in tech. You must love this. How do we preserve female leadership so they move up to the C-suite? This gets even better. And a clearer definition of diversity. And as your hosts, we are thrilled that she's decided to join us and more importantly, open up on these important topics. Well, hello, Sydney Madison Prescott. Welcome back to The Culture Factor. It's really nice
2: to have you. It's great to be here. Excited for another uh, conversation with you both. Excellent.
1: Yes, thank you, Sydney. And and we left off on our last interview with um, a small discussion about innovation and the glass ceiling, and we'd love to dive in more. You know, I find it so interesting that you and your team, you have a lot of pressure on you to innovate. And a lot of times, you know, I I have come from the sales background. When you feel the pressure to perform, that can actually diminish your ability to perform. So I find it so interesting that um, you have been able to build a team and teams of innovation and innovating constantly. And you yourself have broken through many, what many people would consider glass ceilings. And so I'm really excited about this topic, uh, talking about developing teams and helping team members break through glass ceilings.
2: Absolutely.
1: What what are some, if, if we could just dive into this topic, first of all, let's talk about maybe some of those glass ceilings that exist and some of the glass ceilings that you yourself have encountered that you've overcome.
2: Absolutely. So there there are definitely several. The first that comes to mind is the the barrier to entry. And that's very specific to someone who has not yet had a career in technology and who is looking to enter the workforce, um, either as an engineer or an engineering manager, uh, a developer, uh, a back-end engineer. What does it take to get there? from a candidate perspective, and then also the levels of education and the experience and expertise that you need, those different attributes can often become uh, a glass ceiling of sorts. And especially, I even think when, when I think of education, the barrier to entry in terms of uh, one college degrees and then also the uh, the need to focus on specifically stem degrees uh, such as computer science and can you the question that i I am asked quite often is can you successfully enter the field uh, of technology without a a uh, Computer science degree uh, without a STEM, if you are not a STEM major, I should say. And my answer to that is yes, but the the level of critique and the level of uh, challenges that you may face to enter the technology domain are going to be steep. Uh, and and I do think. Then an added layer of complexity is the, uh, the fact, whether you, are, you identify as a woman, uh, whether you identify as a person of color, um, all of these uh, attributes layer on top of one another and they start to create, um, if we go back to that, that visual of a glass ceiling, the glass starts to get thicker as you layer on the attributes. So are you a STEM major? Do you have any expertise uh, within a STEM uh, field or a STEM job? Are you a person who identifies as a black indigenous uh, person of color? Are you someone who identifies as a woman? And it, at every turn, if you answer yes, the glass gets thicker. And so the question that we have is, we it's very uh, obvious and it has been communicated so much. That there is a legacy of underrepresentation in technology amongst both women and minorities. And the question we always have is how do we get past that? Um, and to your question, the things that I have personally faced were very similar to a lot of the circumstances and situations that I've heard uh, amongst other other women and uh, minorities in technology, uh, everything from establishing your credibility in the space, uh, amongst especially as a woman or a person of color, uh, amongst a predominantly male-oriented, uh, predominantly white male-oriented space? How do you establish credibility? How do you build uh, a team that you can successfully lead, that respects you, respects your level of expertise? Um, and I think the answer to all of that, because there's always like a how do you do this, right? How do you accomplish this? How do you, how do you successfully navigate this barrier? The answer really is about ensuring that the culture within the firms that we uh, typically identify across the board as a technology firm or a firm that heavily leans on technology, we have to truly hold those firms accountable at the highest levels. Meaning, how are you creating a culture of diversity and inclusion within? And even more importantly, is, is the internal workforce and the individuals who identify uh, as black indigenous persons of color or women, do they feel the efforts at their level? And that I think that is absolutely critical. If, because there are so many initiatives, and we hear about this uh, day in and day out, uh, all the Fortune 250s and Fortune 100s who are bringing on chief diversity and inclusion officers who are dedicating you know, millions of dollars, um, I've even heard billions at some point, towards diversity and, and inclusion initiatives. But the challenge is that's at a very high level uh, establishing the, the results that you'd like to see as a firm. The bigger question is how are you implementing that within the firm and are the efforts that you are creating, are you successfully, uh, retaining your, your minority and your women, uh, who are represented in the firm, or is it more of a, it's a, it looks good on paper, right? It looks good when you present to the press. And I think there is a big disconnect there. Um, we, uh, there's been a lot of talk of um, the performance of inclusion, which is, you know, you have a, a, a huge flashy announcement for the chief diversity officer. You have a great uh, a press release and rollout of all the incredible initiatives that you'd like to bring on. And those are great. But if the nuance of the effort isn't received and truly felt by the internal employees who identify uh, within the demographics that you're attempting to reach, then it's really all it it really does become more of a okay, is it performative at that point? Um, and, and my goal, even within my teams, it's to it's to really build a team, a, a diverse and inclusive team. That yields better products and solutions, but more importantly, also yields better experiences for the team members. And I think that is the is the key point. And I do believe that we may not be delivering on that uh, within Fortune 100 companies as much as we'd like to admit. Um, and and in my experience. I've, I've been in several companies where we've had great diversity and inclus- inclusion initiatives. However, at my level, whether it was as an as a, um, asset management intern, whether it was as uh, a solutions engineer, I didn't feel the impact of those efforts because I was sitting in a position where I was surrounded by uh, primarily by men. Uh, I, I was not uh, surrounded by a, a lot of mentors. There weren't really spaces where I could be open about the challenges that I faced as a minority woman uh, attempting to rise up in the ranks of tech. And I think that's where it really becomes interesting because then the bigger question is, okay, what do we do at the at the level where, at the individual level, what do we do as uh, technologists, as senior leaders to ensure that those high level initiatives are successfully being communicated and actioned at, at an individual level? to a point that we can see a dramatic shift, not only in the environment, uh, the, the internal environment where we are working, but also a dramatic shift in attrition, um, and, and really looking at who is leaving and more importantly, why are they leaving? Uh, so that's, that's how I think of it as, um, it's, it's really more so about driving an individual feeling of diversity and inclusion that then permeates throughout the firm, Mm -hmm. uh, so that anyone who falls within that demographic feels the effort is, uh, truly being realized on a, on a day-to-day basis.
0: You you know, Sydney, there's, there's like a few things that I want to unpack here, you know, um, it's really sad when you hear a company trying to do this, but they're doing it for optics and then they maybe choose one person as a token, um, and, and not a full team because they think that that's good enough. Um, so, I'm curious, uh, you know. I know you're you're making steps where you are, but what does a diverse team truly look like? Because obviously, we we need more balance, right? Um, and when we say diversity, who is included in that category? Because, you know, obviously, like you were saying, you know, uh, persons of color, um, female, um, probably age needs to be taken into account there. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get your input on there. And then you also touched on, um, women leaving the technology sector because they're not getting the support that they need. Um, so what, what do you think we could do there? Sorry, I asked too many questions on that one, but maybe (laughs) if you could hit the first one about like what that team looks like. So, you, you know, so that these companies know, like you can't just pick one person and check a box. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be bigger than that.
2: Right. Yes, absolutely. In terms of the diverse team, what does that look like? It's really it's a very integrated team where we are not only looking at uh, exactly as you pointed out uh, areas of expertise, level of expertise, right? Whether it's one year, two year, ten years, twenty years uh, in technology, we are also looking at uh, persons of color. We're also looking at women. We're really looking at the Underrepresented demographics, which which primarily are uh, women and uh, persons of color in technology, but then we are also giving credence to uh, to whether or not we have diversity of age. Uh, and specifically, we look at that less in terms of age and more so in terms of experience. Right. So we're looking at how what is that um, that arc of expertise that we have within the team. And what I absolutely strive for is a a very um, uh, equal mix. So I enjoy having a team that we have some interns who are just beginning in their career, uh, starting to dive in and and are very curious about different areas of technology. I also enjoy having uh, individuals who are uh, out of college, Who have majored in a STEM uh, field uh, subject and are ready to enter the workforce and and this is their chosen career uh, and starting them out in their kind of their first uh, professional job. So I I always incorporate a few individuals from that area. And then I have my uh, middle of the ground expertise and then senior expertise, which is typically I would say like 15 years or more in the middle of the ground I would say about five to ten years of expertise is is kind of a middle middle ground expertise. But the blend of all of those together is what tr- when I have seen a team truly shine. Um, and why is because you have such a wide breadth of whether it's life experience, career experience, uh, nuance from different industries all flowing together. And then also you have a great rapport in terms of the knowledge sharing that is um, that is created uh, and maintained again amongst the team. So you have a really wide range of from your intern who is just learning the ropes, may not even uh, have a great gauge of uh, professional demeanor and things of that nature, so they're they're constantly learning, 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 soaking up like a sponge, and you have your more experienced team members who are who are driving that level of expertise, that level of experience and and that level of nuance uh, that you can only get the, the more years uh, that you uh, establish within a career. Just by working through their daily duties and by walking through um, the assessment of a project, the assessment of, of uh, quarterly objectives and having your interns in the room and your your early um, stage professionals in the room, there's such great feedback that you get from that, uh, the hows and the whys, and it turns into this really wonderful dynamic amongst the team where you even have the individuals who are extremely experienced uh, beginning to learn more learn more just from the curiosity and the questions that they're getting, uh, from the interns and from the, um, the young professionals. So I think that that mix is wonderful and the teams that I have both, uh, been a part of and, and I wasn't leading the team. I was more just a team member, as well as the teams that I now lead that I create with that, um, almost diversity of, I would say, experience in mind Those are the teams that I reflect back and I feel that I had the most enjoyable time on the team. I feel that the team actually delivered, and I I have metrics to show that those teams were delivering at a much higher rate uh, and a much higher level of quality than uh, other teams that I was on, where they were not, we did not include that that uh, arc of expertise ranging from again from the the college intern all the way up to the senior uh, engineering professional so i think that's that's one thing i would say create a team with that type of diversity in mind because we do often we pivot um, directly to the more so like gender diversity uh ethnic diversity and we we should also consider almost diversity of expertise as a component of that, uh, that ideal team dynamic that we want to create.
1: You know, Sydney, it's interesting. Um, there's been a lot of studies on paired programming when it comes to development and the success of putting together a senior developer and a junior developer working on a project and working in tandem on the code. Um, you get a lot of creativity involved and you get a lot of training experience accomplished over that time period. And as I was thinking about what you're talking about and also this paired programming, it seems that what would be very helpful when it comes to combining all these different experiences and backgrounds is creating. Last time you came on the on the, on the podcast, you talked about Afika, which was a Spotify tradition of going and getting coffee with somebody, um, being able to pair people together. If you have a diverse team taking a paired programming approach, pairing people together and inviting them to go get a FICA just to create empathy and understanding uh, and appreciation of background experience can go a, a really long way. Would that approach have been really helpful to you as you know, you're kind of this person that has broken through very thick glass. Would would things like that have been really helpful for you to integrate?
2: Absolutely. I recall early on in my technology career, I lacked that. I would say that would be what I consider as a uh, a peer group within within um, a certain organization, and I really lacked a sense of, of belonging in the organization as a result. Uh, and I do think there is there is a lot of credit that I can give to the forums such as Afika, uh, the forums where you really get to uh, find out a little bit more about your team members and the way that they think, the way that they operate, the way that they approach projects. But it also again, brings in that human element, which I think is absolutely critical when we begin to talk through what does a a diverse team and what does a diverse workplace look like? It's about really bringing back the commonalities that we share uh, as technologists and even bigger as human beings. And we, we quite often see in the, the larger companies, there was a bit of a, um, a stripping away of that, I, I, w- I would call it a, that, that sense of community, because that sense of community was see- was seen as inefficient uh, to the bottom line and to deliverables. And now it's really interesting, I've seen quite a shift And I do think the shift has a lot to do with the technology sector and the uniqueness that we have to have um, very a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more engaging and fun workplaces. I think that's crept into uh, a lot of other industries as well. But I've seen a shift in the belief that a dynamic, engaged, more human-centric workplace is seen as something that is inefficient. Uh, we, we saw a lot of stripping away of that, um, especially I would say in the, all the way up to probably the early 2000s. And we started to see that decrease as companies are bringing in um, everything from uh, yogis who are teaching you yoga to meditation, uh, to, to great example, Spotify, the Fikas, And all of that is really meant to tie us together uh, as yes we work in this specific company but more importantly we are human and to see the nuances and the creativity and the way that we can all bond together it creates a dynamic where you do end up with a a company that is producing at a much higher level higher rate of satisfaction amongst the employees which relates to lower attrition which relates to uh, lower cost for the firm to onboard candidates, uh, hire candidates. It takes a, a great deal um, of resources to um, go through the candidate process from a firm perspective. And the more attrition you have, the less re- reasonable that uh, investment per candidate makes sense. So I think when we look at the future, and we say what's really going to keep individuals in a firm and what is really going to have everyone operating at the highest levels, I do think that that workforce looks a lot more human uh, in its approach to peer interactions, uh, a lot more organic in its approach to uh, interactions amongst employees, and Ideally, a lot more diverse, uh, again, ranging from area of expertise, uh, career path, uh, and then, uh, then going down, of course, the, uh, the gender and uh, ethnic diversity, but putting all of that together and then saying, okay, now we have the ideal workforce, uh, which, which in turn creates all of these amazing ideal teams that are sitting within that workforce.
0: You, you know, Sydney, um, I don't disagree. I think it's really important to look at the human side of it. And I think companies are coming around to, to seeing that. And perhaps COVID and seeing people live their real lives is, is sort of forcing that hand a little bit. Um, but what I really loved is you were talking about your team and how you have built it up in such a way that your diversity is includes level of expertise. It includes, um, minorities. Um, you you had said, uh, persons of color and, um, female and so forth. And I love that you, you did this and it's, it was part of the dynamic for you to create a funnel, a pipeline for leadership, if I understood that correctly. And, So I want to ask the hard question in that, why aren't there more women in the C-suite at technology companies? Why can't they deploy this technique that has obviously worked successfully for you because you've had this great team? Like, how do we make this happen so that we could get more females in these leadership roles? And thin out the glass ceiling <laughs> and, and have this, like, what, what would you, how, would how would you make that happen? Like if you were, how could you get yourself to the head of that fortune 50 company and how can you spread that word and make that happen if, if you were in that role?
2: Oh, absolutely. So that's a, that's a great question. So it starts, it, it's, absolutely a journey and I believe that the journey starts uh, at the really at the academic level so it starts with encouraging more women uh, more females to engage in STEM courses uh, early on in their college career and there's been uh, quite a few empirical studies that have shown that, the way that intro to computer science courses are structured are, are alienating women from registering for the course or alienating women where that is the only intro to computers. That's the only STEM course that they take before they pursue a different major or different classes. Uh, and there's been quite a few studies as well, just even in terms of the way that the, the courses are named, which is really interesting, that the female enrollees can outnumber the males in an intro to computer science class if the course is titled differently. And, and that's extremely fascinating to me. So I, I believe it starts with understanding the ways We've incorporated bias into so many different aspects of just day to day life. And that includes academia and that includes the workforce. And those two, I believe, are not mutually exclusive, but they have been treated somewhat as if they are mutually exclusive. Uh, so, the, all of the, the male dominated industries that are, they tend to really use this very hyper masculine language. That doesn't really appeal to women, so it's a it's a a compounding effect. Again, that picture of the glass, it just builds and builds. If you think of uh, if you think of a woman's trajectory from high school to college to the workforce, the layers build as she goes along to alienate her from pursuit of a career in STEM. And so the first part starts with, can we establish a different cadence in academia? Can we look at the way that we're actually structuring the courses that are within the STEM majors? Uh, Can we we take a very deep look at who is registering for the courses uh, starting out at the intro level? And even more importantly, are those same, are those, the individuals within those same demographics, are they continuing to pursue a STEM major after the intro course? And what we see today is no, that when you look at women and you look at Uh, the the courses that they start out with in college versus what they end up uh, earning a degree in, it's very different. Most of the women um, do not end up, if they start with a a STEM major, they don't end up pursuing that in the long run. And my question would be, how do we change that? Um, I I think a lot of the dynamics, if you go even further back, um, start even at the, the middle school, high school level. And that's just in terms of resources. Who has access to resources? Um, and that's everything from do you have a computer in your home? And, and there's been studies that have shown that, you know, I think it said uh, around two thirds of white students have computers in their homes and only half of black and Hispanic students have computers in their homes. And that resonates because the the things that the students become accustomed to um, outside of the classroom access to computers, that really matters. If you have a computer um, at your disposal at home, you you have the ability to to leverage that computer to play around on that computer to research to get creative um, to test out a, a, a class maybe a webinar on coding whereas if you don't have access to a computer at home you may be able to do that on campus but your time is going to be a lot more limited so it's it's looking at again that journey that trajectory of where do we start uh, where do we start Pushing the inclusivity. And I believe it starts at the classroom level, it rolls into how are we engaging with women who are staying on board with STEM careers, how are we engaging them and creating a workforce pipeline? Because that's absolutely essential. We obviously can't have women sitting in the C-suite of a technology firm if they're never hired at a technology firm, right? So the first question is how do we get that pipeline from uh, academia to the workforce? And the second piece of that is, once we establish that pipeline and we say, we have a way to to mentor, uh, to guide, to promote STEAM careers in the academic environment, and we have a way to um, successfully promote these students over to uh, the, the Fortune 500s of the world, the next question becomes, okay, now that we have them, and they're they're hired at a firm. How do we keep them engaged? And how do we keep them uh, again back to the attrition? How do we keep them from leaving uh, the firm? And we see a large gap of uh, women who are who enter a, a STEM field and then who quickly leave. I think within the first five years. And that really comes down to exactly what we discussed early on, which is the workforce environment. And if the workforce environment at the individual level does not feel inclusive, does not feel diverse, uh, going back to you know whether it's diversity of gender, ethnicity, et cetera, then that is where you have the disconnect, and that is where you have individuals saying, "This isn't worth it. I, I don't see myself being promoted up to the C suite because I, you know, I'm not heard in meetings." Um, being taken seriously, being able to uh, receive a, a very big deal is just being able to amplify your presence in a certain team. And that is really big. Uh, and if you don't have leaders who are willing to give you that platform as a technologist to amplify your efforts, amplify your voice, it's very hard to, to receive that promotion to continue up the ladder. And that is where, as leaders, we have to take responsibility, and we have to say, whose voices are am I amplifying in my day-to-day efforts, and are those the right voices to amplify? And I don't think that we do enough of that, because we, when we see who is amplified and who is promoted, there is absolutely a relationship there. Um, the more that senior leadership knows about your efforts, your wins, uh, the way that you think, the way that you drive your team, the more likely that they are to say, oh, great, I can see you in a position taking on more responsibility, um, having more of a of an impact to the overall uh, uh, guidance of the firm. And we as leaders have to look at if I'm not amplifying the right voices, how do I do that? Because my amplification does relate to who gets promoted, who is seen as a leader within within any given organization or, or uh, firm. And we have to take accountability, I believe, as leaders to in terms of our role in that pipeline and our role in um, almost subtly pushing individuals into the upper echelons of leadership.
0: You know, Sydney, I feel like, um, you know, we're at a tipping point. I think we're all seeing across social media channels. Um, you know, we're, I feel like we're at a ringside seat watching companies, as I like to say, belly up to the bar and finally doing what they should have been doing a long time ago. Um, how do how do we keep that, Happening Like, how do we keep that momentum so that it's, so it's not temporary? I mean, I, I do agree with you. It, if we set the stage at, at when they're very young with school and, and we, we try and, you know, make it so that kids can get computers and we change language. And I don't disagree with you. I think that a hundred percent we have to do that. Um, but right now, there are people in the pipeline that are have great experience. you know, they are worthy of the positions they should have gotten all along. And I feel like we're seeing that all over you know LinkedIn, the news everywhere, you know, you look, how do how do we keep that? like how do we keep these people getting these c-suite positions and like keep that going? not just like the one, one and done type of thing, like for optics.
2: Yes. And that that goes back to, um, that is the the subject of the day, which is the the performance of diversity, uh, the the performance of diversity and inclusion at a firm. So promoting those efforts externally, but then the results uh, in terms of employee satisfaction and attrition are not there when you look at them. And I think there are a few different ways we can do that, uh, that we can maintain um, a sense of responsibility is the best way to put it uh, in terms of senior leadership. The first one really is attrition. I think that is absolutely critical. Why do we have individuals leaving firms who are predominantly um, Black or Indigenous persons of color? Why do we have women leaving firms? And their need, their Really needs to be an onus on reviewing that, uh, formulating guidelines based on data around that, and there are, there are a lot of firms who are doing this, but there's definitely not enough. Uh, and then looking at uh, creating and hiring, uh, there are a lot of attrition coaches. And a lot of um, companies that are starting to think around building internal databases specifically dedicated to being more proactive about identifying who is who is at risk to leave the company and doing a lot of analytics around why uh, and then going in and mentoring and coaching and creating that environment that doesn't exist which is leading up to the the individual basically leaving that firm um, or at work at, at, at even worse, leaving technology as a whole. So I, I think looking at metrics uh, around why we have such high levels of attrition in specific demog- within specific demographics. I also think it's about accountability at a senior leadership level specific to attrition, because it's very easy to say oh, we're we're doing X, Y, Z in relation to diversity and inclusion. Look, we're announcing this, you know, head of this particular initiative. It's a lot harder to say we initially had X number of employees within these specific demographics who were leaving. And we have dramatically changed that, uh, that we've shifted that dynamic to where we have, you know, Y amount of individuals from from specific demographics who are now, not only are they not leaving, but they're also advancing into positions of leadership. And that's that's even another level, which is holding our, um, at the highest levels, the C-suite, holding the C-suite accountable for the number of employees in senior leadership positions who are uh, underrepresented minorities, and this is an area where I absolutely think that there is a lot of work to be done. We need to take a look at suite, C-suite and below in each company, and and have and ask the hard questions: Why why are there no women in the C-suite? Why is is there not a single uh, underrepresented minority in the C-suite in this company? And if the if the answer is Oh, we didn't, we didn't think about it. Oh, we never, you know, we've never asked that question. It's just the most qualified. Those are not the right answers, right? We have to dig into where, where do the candidates come from, from, for the C-suite positions? Are they primarily uh, coming from internal promotions? If so, let's scrutinize that process. If they are primarily coming from external uh Resources and services where we're we're uh, we're basically scrutinizing who we should bring into the company, uh, and then we are bringing them in, and then they are basically um, advancing. We need to look at that pipeline. Where, where are we? How are we vetting the external candidates for the C suite? And are we are we being honest with ourselves that we are ensuring that everyone who is potentially qualified is is given a fair chance rather than we assume when we look at those roles that, oh, everyone was given a fair chance and these were the best individuals for the job. But that is not absolutely not the case um, in a lot of different scenarios. And, And to your point, Holly, when we look at who is in the firm today, we absolutely should be looking at who is in the firm today. And we should look at, okay, we have this body of underrepresented minorities, who you know made it through the hurdles and were able to not only successfully um, complete their their academic career, they were also successful at at uh, obtaining a job here. Now, our goal as leaders is to say, how do we keep those employees engaged? How do we keep inspiring them to reach higher and higher in terms of their uh, passions and the, and the pursuit of maturing out their career. And also are we offering are we offering enough insights to that group of indivi- of diverse individuals to ensure that they understand what's possible for them? because I, I think that's a completely different subject, which is we often float the idea of certain positions to specific individuals. And more often than not, we are floating the idea of an SVP, of a chief, uh, you know, a C-suite officer. We're not floating those ideas to women. We're not floating those ideas to minorities. And that's the change that we need. Uh, We need the change of thinking through who is here and how can we empower them to reach as high as they want to reach within this company to achieve their career goals and aspirations. Um, And and quite often that takes a very, it takes a long, hard, you have to take a long, hard look at what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it as a leadership team, before all of that um, can, before you can get the real answers to establish a real cadence for change.
1: I love what you're saying, Sydney. And I think, you know, it goes back to that old saying of, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And if you're in a community of who you know is mostly not diverse people, then focus on building that community so that next time you have an opening or next time that there's an opportunity, you have plugged yourself into a group of people that are diverse that you can call upon and bring those, those people into those conversations that you're referring to.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's it's about expanding. We have to do a better job as leaders in technology of understanding, identifying, and accepting our biases, and then committing. We have to do a better job of committing to doing the work to uh, to break down those biases and to create. Uh, a new perspective and a new way of thinking, which is more inclusive. Um, and, and we are all, it's it's not uh, to say that this is a, ba- a blame game. We all have biases. Um, everyone does. But the the true onus from a leadership perspective is admitting that you have biases and ensuring that to the best of your ability, you do not have... Any any sort of bias that impedes the abilities of others around you to succeed at their their um, goals and ambitions.
0: I agree. I you know what I really love. Um, I love that you provide a tool. It's it's a, a a thought I hadn't given before. You know, you were saying that um, you know there's a lot of People that are placed in positions for DNI, and um, the attrition initiative seems like a really interesting tool to implement. To have somebody who works alongside DNI to help people mature their careers and to stay on board, right? Like, why aren't they staying? That part fascinates me. Like, if we finally get people there, that that aren't a mold, if you will. Like they, they are diversity, but getting them to stay. I, I really like your idea of the attrition initiatives.
2: Yes, definitely. And, and it's all about the environment. I, I think that when we look at the tech environments, I, I can recall many times where I felt isolated and I felt as if um, I felt as if it were an uphill battle. Uh, being a, a woman and a minority who was aspiring to become a senior leader in technology, um, I was I was told quite often that. I didn't have the right experience. I was told that, you know, oh, traditionally people don't come from your background, and that's that's code, right? Mm. So there's a, <laughs> a lot microaggression of, there. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of different <laughs> there's a lot of different kind of secret, you know, side talk that goes on uh, because everyone knows that you know nobody wants to get reported to HR, so mm-hmm. they they maneuver around, you know, blatantly saying things to you that are sexist or racist, but there were many times when I first started out in my career where I just the pressure that I felt uh, it felt very exclusionary and it felt very uh, it felt very lonely and I've had I've had other peers who have said uh, who are female who have said the same thing. Who have actually left technology because they said it was so they felt so isolated within their role that it was just uh, it was over it became overwhelming and they said I I don't want to do this anymore so that's what we need to combat there there should never come a time where uh, a woman where a minority who is skilled and passionate about a career in technology should feel that the environment that they are in creates such a dynamic where they no longer, where the, their passion for the field doesn't even matter. I I think that's really, uh, sad if we, if we, continue to think that that is acceptable. I think it's absolutely not acceptable if we have individuals who are passionate, engaged, uh, excited, experienced at uh, at being a technologist, we should do, as leaders, we should do our absolute best to encourage them and, and even further to cultivate an environment that is inclusive and that assists that individual with just building uh, and intensifying their passion for technology if we if we look at the technology sector and we have women and minorities who are saying that being in a role in a company diminish their passion i think that is a huge loss to the technology sector as a whole because what what could I think of what those individuals could have contributed uh, and what they were what they ended up contributing compared to what they could have contributed had they had they felt that the environment was inclusive and inclusive and welcoming. And my hope is that we we pivot that narrative so that we have an environment where everyone feels inspired. Everyone feels excited to go to work. Um, everyone feels like they they can contribute to the team and in, in some form or fashion. Uh, and that they, if they want to pursue the higher um, echelons of leadership, that there is a clear path there and that there are clear resources and mentors who can help guide them to reach those goals.
0: I think it's so important to have the diversity in designing anything because I feel like it's more user friendly to anybody, whether it's technology, if it's product, um, no, no matter what it is, you know, you've you've tapped into so many great things um, on this podcast, and you know, I, I, I feel like I might be remiss if I don't ask you: Is there anything I'm not asking you? I want to make sure we put this all on the table.
2: I think the one there's one thing I would also say, which is. We need to, and this is more of a, from a um, society perspective, I believe that we are seriously lacking visibility in terms of promoting uh, female role models in STEM. And this is something, so when you look at, um, I always laugh about this, but you can look at Hollywood as an example. It's a, it's a great example of just what is accepted at, in a potential um, role in society. And whenever you see a movie and you see someone who's a computer science nerd or you see someone who's a hacker, what does that person usually look like? <laughs> a young
0: man in like his 30s who's white? Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Edward Snowden. <laughs> Edward Snowden. <laughs> yeah, exactly no exactly. That's that's the, the like what is the stereotype of the computer geek or the the hacker, right? It's a young white male. Like that that is the, you know, that's what everyone thinks of when they even when you when they when you say like technology or even when you say like Silicon Valley, what do you think of do you think of, you know, the uh um, the Mark Zuckerberg of the world. And and that's what we need to change. We need to change the the visibility and the, um, the focus that we have on who can be in STEM, because I, I don't think that we give enough credence to the subliminal messages that we receive as women and minorities about fields that we quote unquote, can achieve in or fields that we should be in and that I would love to see a pivot there. Can we start, um, and and this even goes down to even Hollywood, can we start promoting the broadcasting of the message that women, that minorities can be seen as the the computer geek, the hacker? I, I think that would go a long way to inspire people and then to really change that, that again, that underlying narrative that this is who belongs in this field. We need to change that narrative and and that will go a long way to start pivoting the rest of the scenario around academia, around the workforce. Um, We need to change what, when we say technologist, who do we think of as a technologist? When we say someone is um, in, in a STEM field, who are we thinking of in our minds and can we can we fundamentally change who we think is capable that's a great way to put it who can we fundamentally change who we think is capable of succeeding in stem and if we can do that at it's at its base i think everything else once we start stacking on mentorship accountability and leadership that establishment of a workforce pipeline, um, offering hands-on STEM exercises to kids, put all of that together, and that's when you start changing the true narrative of what it means to be a an underrepresented minority in tech. And my dream would be that one day we no longer say that anyone is an underrepresented minority. Uh, minority in tech, because we have truly reached um, full diversity of the workforce in the tech field.
0: Sydney, this is like a masterclass. I can't thank <laughs> you enough. This is awesome. This is really great. And I love that you really gave some actionable ideas all along the pipeline from, from grade school on up. This was great. I can't thank you. Enough for coming and, and really diving deep on this, Paul. I don't mean to cut you off. I don't know if you had any last questions, but I just this was great.
1: Um, I I don't. Thank you so much, Sydney, for for coming on the show and uh, lending some of your own experience and talking about us, uh, talking to us from the other side. Congrats on on being able to inspire other people and uh, on your own career journey. It's it's
2: inspiring. Thank you so much. I, I am always, it's always a pleasure to sit down, uh, Paul, with you and Holly and just share um, these thoughts on how we can continue to improve the tech industry uh, and continue to inspire uh, other, other individuals to, to pursue a career in technology um, and, and truly rethink what it means to be uh, an individual working in a leadership position in corporate America.
0: Well, this, this particular podcast should be like onboarding for every HR company. <laughs> Recruiting. This is great. Cindy, I really can't thank you enough. I know that these are not easy topics to discuss, but you know, you've really done so much in the industry. And so it's really nice to be talking with somebody who's on the inside and who has a lot of experience in, obviously person of color and female. So you really bring to the table something special here. So thank you for that.
2: Absolutely. It's my pleasure.